You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. All right. Well, thank you all for coming. Let's get right to it. This part, this portion is about literature, and we have two very interesting authors tonight who I've never met. They come into our science fiction field not as young wannabes right out of Clarion, but as accomplished authors who are uh, beginning to, uh, they, they work, let's say, some of the territory that's on the periphery of science fiction and a little more towards mainstream and thrillers and very interesting stuff. So uh, tonight is an interesting one for me and I hope it will be for you too. Our first author um, lives here in San Francisco. She kind of hit the ground running not too long ago with a, um, a mystery series called It's a Bad Day For, and then she has three or four books in that. She has an, a science fiction, or rather a zombie, um, zombie apocalypse series called um, The Afterlife? After Time. After Time, okay. And uh, she's just finished a, uh, a book on uh, sort of a historical novel about the internment of the Japanese during World War II. But I'll let her explain that and what she's going to read. Uh, so please welcome Sophie Littlefield. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I would like to thank Susan for introducing me to this group, um, Terry and Matt, who um, unbelievably, Matt and I go to the same conference every year, and for five years we've managed not to meet, which is truly astonishing because I bet between us we probably know everybody else there. I've never left my hotel room. Oh, there. <laughs> he's staying up copy <laughs> editing probably. Um, so this is my apocalyptic series, After Time, the second one is Rebirth, and the third is Horizon. Um, and it, um, uh, it is my favorite. I'm not supposed to say that. I, I work for four different publishers, so I've just alienated three of them. But this is my favorite um, thing I've written to date, with the exception maybe of my new book. And I'll just say something about that because it'll be coming out later this month. And um, if if you're interested in the um, World War II history, Japanese internment, it has a bit of a thriller element. It is not paranormal in any way, um, but it follows the experience of a mother and daughter who are interned um, after living a comfortable life in Los Angeles, and, um, and then the daughter's experiences after the camp and how she returns to society. And that'll, that's called Garden of Stones. And of course, I had beautiful postcards to give you about my events, and they're at home. So sorry. Um, I do have some cards, though, so if you would like to take a card, um, you can look on my website for all of my events and my other series. My, um, I had a, I'll have one more Bad Day um, book coming out later this year, which I, I have one reader here who enjoys it. The Bad Day series is about a 50-ish vigilante housewife, not unlike myself, um, from Missouri, who, who um, runs a sewing machine shop by day and uh, takes care of domestic abusers by night. All right, I'll just give you a little background before I read. Um, After Time is about uh, an apocalypse that is results from biological warfare that has decimated crops and livestock. Um, but the main character is a young woman named Cass Dollar 
who has who is an addict and she has lost her two-year-old daughter um, before the end of the world to social services and so she spends much of this book and the subsequent ones trying to get her daughter back after the world has effectively ended um, one of the one of the ways that the apocalypse affects it, it produces a plant which there is a strain of it which you, if you ingest yes you become a zombie-ish character more like a cannibal I suppose and these characters are called beaters and I think that's all you need to know for for this selection that I'm going to read. Can you hear me okay? Okay. Everyone remembered the first time they saw a beater. Usually it was more than one because even in the early days they gathered in packs, three or four or more of them prowling the edges of town. Cass saw hers in the quick go, which is like the mini mart that she works at. Cell phone service had started to go in the last few days and the landlines hadn't worked for a week. Televisions had been broadcasting static since the government's last official communication deputizing power and water workers. That had been such a spectacular failure, skirmishes breaking out in the few remaining places there had been peace before, that the rumor was the government had shut down all the media on purpose. Some said it was the Russian hackers. Now they said the power was out over in Angel's camp. And every gas station in town had been looted except for Bill's shell, where Bill and his two sons-in-law were taking shifts with a brace of hunting rifles. Who is going to care about the fate of one little girl now? Two days earlier, Cass had stopped taking money from customers unless it was offered. Some people seemed to find comfort in clinging to routines from what was quickly becoming before. And if people reached for their wallets, then Cass made change. People took strange things. There were those who had come early on for the toilet paper and aspirin and bottled water and all the alcohol to Cass's relief because she's an addict. Now people wandered the aisles aimlessly and took random items that would do them no good anymore, a prepaid calling card, a map. Medlin, her boss, hadn't made an appearance for a few days. The quick go, Cass figured, was all hers. No matter. She didn't care about Medlin. The others, the fragile web of workers who staffed the other shifts, had been gone since the media went silent. On a brisk March morning, a day after the lights started to flicker and fail, Cass was talking to Teddy, a pale boy from the community college who lived in the apartments down the block with a handful of roommates who didn't seem to like him very much. Cass made coffee, wondering if it would be the last time, and wiped down the counter. There hadn't been a dairy delivery in weeks, so she set out a can of the powdered stuff. When the door jangled, they both turned and looked. Feverish, Teddy said quietly. Cass nodded. The ones who'd been eating the blue leaf, the ones who'd lived... Sorry, I keep interrupting myself. Um, it, it, it killed off the weak, this strain. It, it, the elderly and ch children were killed by it. The fever made their skin glow with a thin sheen of perspiration. Their movements were clumsy, but most remarkable were their eyes. Their pupils contracted to tiny black dots. In dark-eyed people, the effect was merely unsettling. In pale-eyed people, it was both captivating and frightening. If everything hadn't fallen apart, there would have undoubtedly been teams of doctors and scientists gathering the sick and studying and caring for and curing them. As it was, all but those closest to the sick were just happy they kept to themselves. Glass over over, one of them said, a man whose plaid shirt was buttoned wrong, so that one side hung further down than the other, speaking to no one in particular. A second, a woman with lank brown hair that lay around her shoulders in uncombed masses, walked to a rack that held only a few bags of chips and pushed it with a stiff, outstretched hand, and as it fell to the floor, she smiled and laughed, not bothering to jump out of the way of the bags, which popped and sprayed dry crumbs. Yeah, she crowed, and Cass noticed something else strange about her, something she hadn't seen before. 
The woman's arms were raw and red, blood dried in patches, the skin chafed and missing in spots. It almost looked like a metal grater had been run up and down her arms, her shoulders, the tops of her hands. Cass checked the others. Their flesh was also covered in scabs. Cold alarm traveled up Cass's spine. Something was wrong, very wrong. Something even worse than the fever and the unfocused eyes and the incoherent speech. She thought she recognized one of the group, a short, muscular man of about 40, whose complicated facial hair was growing out in a sloppy beard. He used to come in for cigarettes every couple of days. He was wearing filthy tanned cargo shorts, and the skin above his knees was covered with the same sort of cuts and scrapes as his forearms. Hey, she said to him. He was standing in front of a shelf that held a few personal products left in the store, bottles of shampoo and mouthwash, boxes of Band-Aids. Would you like... Her voice trailed off as he turned and stared at her with wide, unblinking eyes. Dome going, he said quietly, then raised his wounded forearm to his face and, eyes still fixed on her, licked his lips and took a delicate nip uh, at his red, glistening skin. His teeth closed on the damaged flesh and pulled, the raw layers of dermis pulling away from his arm, stretching and then splitting, a shred of flesh about the size of a match tearing away, leaving a bright, tiny spot of blood that glistened and pooled into a larger drop. For a moment he stared at her, the strip quivering between his teeth, and then his tongue poked out, and he drew the ruined skin into his mouth and chewed. <laughs> and that's the end of that. All right. <laughs> well, <laughs> snacks will be served. <laughs> I used to be a Girl Scout leader, by the way, so I'm not a truly, you know, I, I have redeeming qualities. They may not be apparent from the... So now we have an introduction to the, um, is that the first book in the series? This is the first one and then the, okay. yeah. Cool. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.